0: Check, microphone check. oh that sounds a little better. The speaker's turned on. This is the ATP Podcast. A little sluggish on the intro. Around the Post with your boy Jay and Mark Figueroa. And this is episode <coughs> 153. How you feeling, man? Good, good. A
1: lot of news Be right before the U.S. Open. So, ready to give it to you guys.
0: Uh, spoiler alert potentially match of the year just happened oh yes yes so a lot to discuss there
1: yeah so we're gonna start with the women before we get to the results of coco goff there's a couple of uh news here so radakanyu uh who's had multiple surgeries she's about to drop out of the top 200 oh <sighs> uh, um she's nowhere to be seen uh who knows when she's going to return what are your thoughts on uh radakanyu
0: it's kind of crazy how injury-stricken she is because I don't think she has an injury-creating game. Right. You know, so it's unfortunate. I feel bad for her.
1: Yes, Uh, she she's actually fairly clean she's striker. Smooth. She's yes, a smooth, smooth player. So I don't understand where they're coming from, but maybe there's a lag on the wrist or something, so mm. I really don't know. But uh, <clears throat> since we're here in Southern California, uh, I love going to the San Diego Open. Mm. Uh, it was in October last year. Yeah. This year's move to September right before, not before, right after the U.S. Open pretty much. So Ega Smart move
0: by the San Diego <clears throat> Open, by the way.
1: Well, Ega uh, decided not to defend her title. Mm. She said that it's too uh, it's too soon, right after the U.S. Open. Not enough time to prepare. Savalenka has... Uh, she hasn't officially withdrawn, but... She's not there listed. So, mm-hmm. here's the list. So, Jabor, Garcia, Goff, Sakari, uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, those are pretty decent names. Hadid Maya, Azarenka. So, it's still a pretty stacked card. For a 250? 500. Very... 500. It's a
0: 500? Yes. Oh, okay. So, that's that's decent for a 500. Yes. So, okay. what are your thoughts? The men on... are a 250, huh? Right. Yes. Okay, gotcha.
1: What are your thoughts on that?
0: Um... I, I'm happy for it. Um, I like it being while people are still in the country, because I think inter interwoven flights within the same country are always cheaper, which encourages players to go to the tournament. I think that a lot of times people won't commit, though, until they know how their body's feeling from the, the Grand Slam I'm sure players that maybe get upset and lose early are going to go try to sweep into those 500 points and maybe try to last-minute enter, which sometimes happens. But you're right. Um, the people who are anticipating going all the way to the finish line at yes. the U.S. Open, they're going, okay, I plan to win the U.S. Open. Right. I'm not committing to that.
1: Yeah, so that's what's happening. And then the wild cards are Sloan Stevens mm. and Sissy Dosa.
0: Paula Badosa I It's like a it. wild card into San Diego Open. Do you like it? i love it i love that draw i love those entries the tournament's not that big so you're gonna see some good matchups for very cheap yes yes
1: exactly so i'm i'm actually excited for it yeah it's still a pretty good draw to where i'm uh, i'll go a couple of days so i'm excited Mm -hmm. for that so the big big news is still there's a big gap in between the pay of the men and the women Mm -hmm. so here uh Djokovic, we'll talk about that a little later. He won over a million dollars after winning Cincinnati. Hmm. Coco Goff, who won uh, Cincinnati, got about 475 grand. Hmm. Double the prize money. Uh, again, that happened
0: in Rome and in another spot. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, very interesting. I, I'm a little surprised in Cincinnati, it's an issue. I'm surprised by that part. I'm not surprised that we're still having the issue, but you would think somewhere like Cincinnati, it wouldn't be very difficult for them to accommodate the WTA and match pay, or at least make it respectable. But, you know, it is what it is. It, it's a little alarming to me that any American tennis tournament is still struggling with equal pay.
1: Yes, I'm actually shocked by that. I mean, I guess the City Open, it's a smaller event, so I guess. Mm. But what I don't understand is the fact that at the Grand Slams, they all get equal pay, but in these uh, combined thousand events, they don't. Yeah. And honestly, I'm going to talk about the ATP. They did a huge thing for their players, but the WTA is not really stepping up. Mm. Uh, They're thinking about, not thinking, but they're saying that maybe in 2000, um, excuse me, 2000... uh, 27 that finally they'll have equal pay in the thousand events Hmm. as a matter of fact they're saying that they'll probably just extend uh two more events uh, in the thousands in the masters 1000s in doha and in dubai in order to try to make up money Hmm. instead of just making it equal pay that's a they they said that that's all they could do yeah Uh, what are your thoughts on that
0: uh i like that there's effort i do like that you know i think that In order for it to be accomplished, everyone's gonna have to be on board. You know, it can't just be one federation, one conglomerate, one group trying to make the push. Everyone's gonna have to buy into it. So, you know, it'll come with time. And honestly, I think that it'll help if we get a few new ambassadors to women's tennis to really step forward and step up to the plate. Because that's part of what's missing in women's tennis is that true face, iconic ambassador of the game. Who who could you even imagine doing it? You know, the star is Iga, but Iga's not that person. She's not the the rebellious, standoffish, representative person. She's very soft spoken, a little less social. Um, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if someone comes forward and doesn't. Oh, for sure. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, Coco Goff has said,
1: "I'm the one with the pressure now. Uh, Serena's retired, so I'm the one that the people want to see win." What are your thoughts on that, Coco?
0: That ship sailed. Um, people wrote you off a little bit. Um, we wanted to see you win about three to four years ago. That's when you. That's when the pressure was there. Um, you broke through. You were sixteen or seventeen, and everyone's minds were blown. And nothing really happened. And a lot of players that came after you surpassed you. That's just the facts, you know? We saw the Leila Fernandezes, the Emirata Kanyus, I mean, the Hadid Mayas, you know? A lot of these players were not prominent in 2020, 2019, 2021, and now they all have relevant names. Some of them have slams, some of them have slam finals, and Coco Gauff is just coasting. I will give her the fact that she's a consistent top 15 athlete, and I do think it's not if it's when. I really do believe that, but no one is waiting on it. Nobody. So, you know, when it happens, it happens. Everyone will be uh, happy, but no one will be surprised. No one is waiting on it. With uh, <clears throat>
1: excuse me, with Brad Gilbert there though, uh, he's making a big change in her game. I see it coming. As a matter of fact, uh, tennis analyst uh, on uh, Tennis Channel. We're saying that she's actually top three favorite to win the U.S. Open over um, Pagula, mm-hmm. over um, the—man, I forgot her name right now. Savalinka, Rabakina. 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 And as a matter of fact, a lot of the the analysts were saying they're shocked that Garcia and uh, Coco were tied for seventh to win the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with the tennis analyst on Tennis Channel? That she's the third favorite to win behind Iga and Sabalenka.
0: Um, you know what's funny for me? It's kind of Iga, Sabalenka, and Rubakina would probably be the the quote unquote big three in general. And after that, it's are you the best of the rest? So you know, to me, calling her the third favorite is not even impressive. Who are, who is she ousting from the list? Really, you know. So, yeah, I think that calling her the third is valid. Uh, with Brad Gilbert in her corner, with the momentum she's building from her current win, which we'll probably discuss a bit in a second. Yes. Um, this is not a surprise, and I agree, actually. I agree with it.
1: As a matter of fact, uh, Pagula could be up there, too. 1,000%.
0: Yes. Yeah, so 1,000%. It's
1: hard to it's hard to put her there. But, yeah, I mean, I can see it. So, now we're going to talk about Coco. Uh Obviously, she has a very bad record against against Mommy ega Until mm. now, until now, she Rough. finally. It
0: she, was starting to look Monfi Djokovic ish.
1: Exactly, Ugh. she finally got her win. And as a matter of fact, she said, "You know, no disrespect to uh, Monfils, but I just didn't want that record. Uh, to <laughs> me, I don't, I, don't want, I didn't want to get to 0-10 against Ega. Mm-hmm. So I hyper focused. I had Brad Gilbert telling me." Uh, what to do, what to apply, and it worked. What are your thoughts on Coco
0: saying that about Monfils? Look, unfortunately, Monfi, I'm glad she said it because we're all thinking it. And that record against Djokovic is probably one of the most one-sided and embarrassing records in tennis history. And what makes it very embarrassing and disappointing is that Monfi is a player who has all the tools. He has weapons. He's a great athlete, and he's had countless opportunities to play different versions of Djokovic, and could never put together one win. So, I'm right there with her. I wouldn't want to be him either.
1: As a matter of fact, we'll just get to we'll just get that out of the way before uh, continuing with Coco. Uh, he is now he now surpassed the record against Nadal and Gasquet. So he's uh, I believe 0 19. Oh, and nineteen. So, as a matter of fact, Djokovic signed his shirt or something uh, to commemorate. Uh, how do you feel about that?
0: That's embarrassing. <clears throat> That's um. Here, let 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 me put this in perspective, though. I'm gonna try to be positive here. Yes, I let, like let, let, Yes. Do you remember what Stan Wawrinka's re- record was versus Nadal and Novak before he made his big runs? He had maybe two to three wins against Yes, I remember them. that. Yes. Yeah, he had a terrible record against them. Um, and he proceeded to win three slams going through those big three players. So is it possible to have these extremely lopsided head-to-heads and then figure something out late? Yes. Does Monfie plan on doing that? No. Um, <laughs> I think Monfie is going to probably end up going down as... The worst matchup against Novak in the history of tennis. Oh, big time. So, yeah. Yes. So
1: now uh, Coco Gauff, after beating Iga, this is what she said in her press conference. I'm going to read it. Hmm. Seeing her, Pagula beating Iga. So Pagula beat Iga at the Canadian Open. Uh, Last week gave me some hope because I was like, I got close to beating her and I've beaten Jess before. Mm -hmm. So this is a, I've beaten her so I can beat her type thing. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So she said, I beat Jessica Pagula so I can be Ega. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Look, whatever whatever gets you to that mindset to make you believe in yourself, go for it. Because that's complete nonsense anyway. Um, I don't think that that's valid. But look, I've used that same logic to convince myself I'm capable of things as well, for sure. I'll never forget this guy. um, This guy was... A very slow guy, not a sharp guy, not the sharpest tool in the shed, notoriously low IQ. We all kind of use this guy as the laughing stock of our, he's the butt of the jokes, right? Um, And one day he showed up to the park we're playing basketball at in a stick shift. And I went, he can drive stick? And I walked up to him and I went, hey man, how long you been driving stick? He was like, what? Man, this is all I drive. I only drive stick me a man who's never driven stick looked at him and went if he could drive stick I can drive stick No, oh, there you go <laughs> <laughs> and I proceeded to ask my uh, family member at the time to let me drive his stick shift car and learn how to drive it and I went in with full confidence by the end of that day I would to be driving stick because that guy over there can do it I can do it and I think that she's using that same thought process with tennis which to me doesn't really work but I'm here for it. I
1: like it. Yeah, well, there you go. Whatever it takes to uh, we know, win, right?
0: We know styles make matchups, right? Oh, for you sure. Know, just because Gasquet beat Andy Murray does not mean you're going to beat Andy Murray. Yeah. Let's be real here. You know, there's there's a lot to say about the backhand-to-backhand backhand matchup. The sequence is uh, lefty versus righty. How much top do you hit? Do you lean back on your forehand? You Get your serves in. You know, all these little things that differentiate the way one player stacks up against another. So, very weird that she leaned on that at a professional level in tennis and said, that's what made me believe? That's kind of crazy to me. But, hey, whatever. Even the pros have their special ways of thinking, I guess.
1: Yeah, whatever it takes. So, here's what uh, Iga said in her press conference after the match. She said, her first serve was bigger than normal. Her forehand was actually good. Wow. She actually moved through the ball. Mm-hmm. And then she said, I'm not going to make excuses, but my tank was pretty empty. Mm. What are your thoughts on Iga saying that? Look,
0: I'm not going to make excuses, but here's an excuse. <laughs> um, I think that Iga really doesn't have to explain herself in this situation. She lost to a professional tennis player. She has spanked countless times. It is what it is. But on the flip side, I do love to hear that she's acknowledging improvement in the forehand and the serve. Because we've said on this podcast here that fixing that forehand changes everything. for Coco sure. Changes everything. So the fact that Iga acknowledged it in her loss tells me that the reason she won wasn't a fluke. And it's something to really think about with her moving into the U.S. Open. So, I 1,000% like the eager response for Coco Gauff. And I like that Ega's kind of scoffing off going, look, I was tired. Don't think it's happening again. Okay. That's kind of what I'm getting from Ega with that statement. You know, she's acknowledging, yeah, she played nice. She's real cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll see her next week. Or not next week, but... Yes, in a couple weeks. Yes. so you know, um, I'm totally here for it. I like that Iga Iga's press conferences. She's not crazy. She doesn't say anything outrageous, but I like her responses. They're thoughtful. So I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yes. Yeah, so Coco Goff is the first uh, teenager to win Cincinnati. She's five and one in career in her career in finals. Uh, the only loss was in 2022, losing to Mommy Iga. mm mm-hmm. uh, She is the first teenager to win three titles in a year since uh and rescue she did it in 2019 mm. and then this is the big stat honestly because uh she lost to sofia kennan in the first or second round at wimbledon mm. since then she's 11 and one and of course the addition of brad gilbert is massive yeah any thoughts on that
0: look um what i will say about coco goth is she has so much time left She has roughly 16 years, assuming she stays kind of healthy, 16 years on the professional tour at a high level, guaranteed. We're seeing, this is just based off what I'm seeing today, obviously things could get even better with time, but we're seeing players not quite taper off until about 35 years old. um, If they're serious about their fitness and their discipline, they're making it to 35 playing the same way they played at 25 and she's... 19 20 yes 19 19 okay um yeah i think that i mean i've said this on this podcast and i'll repeat it because i really enjoy saying it she has the mindset her backhand is elite she has a great backhand in my opinion her serve and volleys are good enough I don't think her serve is violently impressive. I think she has a great professional tennis serve. We know that she's an excellent doubles player. She has no fear at the net. She knows how to navigate the net. I think her net game explodes when her forehand is repaired because she's able to follow a good shot. And I think her fixing her forehand makes her a top four player in the world.
1: Yes, definitely. Uh, she's, She's one of the few players in the top 10 that's not afraid to come to the net, period. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Her coming forward, and taking aggression at the net will make her a top four player for sure. Yeah. So not to put a, uh, no, not to put uh, here's a stat on Ega. As a matter of fact, this is a big one. Mm. So in the second round in Cincinnati, she beat Collins 6-1, 6-0. So uh, she has 65 total bagels in her career. So a bagel is 6-0. Federer in his 24 year career had 89 bagels. Ega has 65 already. Any thoughts on that? Do you think that maybe Federer played better competition? Do you for think sure that Iga, For sure. Do you think that Ega is
0: just that dominant? What are your thoughts? Federer 1 million percent played tougher competition. Federer's uh, a good, I want to say a good 10 to 15 years of Federer's career. He was playing tough competition. I... I can't list very many people in the top 50 during Federer's career that I expected a bagel from for him to uh, give out. Versus with I kind of anticipate a bagel if they're outside the top 15. You know, like, the WTA rankings are not that deep. They're just not deep. There are great athletes in the WTA, but the 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 top 50 is not like the ATP's current top 50. ATP's current top 50 has got People like Andy Murray just looming in the 40s and 30s, you know, just ex legends and stacked athletes just floating around the Sarundalos and the Gofans and, you know, these Manorinos, these guys who are winning tournaments and are just dogs out there that you're not going to bagel. And Iga is playing these random Chinese wild cards at Indian Wells and stuff that she's like double bageling in tournaments, you know. So. I I think it's a big difference. The WTA is for the first time, I think we've been on a good year and a half year stretch where the WTA has really just risen consistently. There hasn't been a a player that popped up and died out. Popped up, died out. It's been a consistent growth. Sabalenka, Rabakina, Iga, now Coco, we're seeing Azarenka floating around. You know, we're we're seeing a lot of good players stay good. Um and we needed that. So now we have the opportunity to start growing the rest of the rankings. So.
1: Yes, uh, I think it's still a very impressive stat. Yeah, she, for sure. she, she is uh, dominating the field. But um, again, uh, in the top 15 in the men back in 2009 and 10, you still had Sanga and <sighs> Monfils or something. Burdage, so Monfils, the, so Sanga,
0: so Feliciano it, Lopez. <clears throat> so it's hard yeah. to
1: bagel those guys. Mm-hmm. No disrespect. So now we're going to talk about the ATP, which is what I was telling you about. They're actually protecting their players. So starting next year, they're going to do a three-year trial and it's called the Baseline Plan. So what they're going to do is they're guaranteed base earnings. Wow. So for the top 100, they're going to guarantee $300,000 a year for the top wow. 100. For the top uh, between 101 and 175, they're guaranteeing 150,000. Okay. And then okay. and then for the bottom uh 176 to 250 in the world, they're going to do 75,000. They also have something called injury protection. Mm. So if you have an injury but you're still in the top as long as you come back, you're still guaranteed that base. So they're going to try it out for a couple of years see if it works. What are your thoughts
0: on that? I love that plan. I deeply love that plan that is perfect um i think even the the figures sound pretty on point obviously that's enough money to pay for you to at least play tournaments play tournaments and maybe have one man on your team that's enough money for that you're going to be able to play at least one tournament a month it'll pay for your expenditures and maybe have a a physio or a coach with you something like that that's it's enough for that And it's them saying, look, start start winning. Start winning. You know, if you start winning, you'll be good. So, obviously, I think that them requiring you to have a ranking means you're going to have to actually play at a decent enough level to deserve to be there. So, yeah, I think it incentivizes players to perform, play consistently, and win more. But it also allows players to feel a little less pressure to have to win this tournament, otherwise, my year might end early. So, I love it. I love the plan.
1: As a matter of fact, uh some people would say, Well, the top 100 already made good money, so why are they getting more? I think it's more of a reward for being in the top 100. Yeah. You still have to play your game,
0: and it's and, a baseline. Yes, it's not a, a bonus, <clears throat> right? You know, so
1: yes, and, and the I, I like the fact that 101 to 150 is getting more than. 151 to 200 mm-hmm. I, I don't mind that at all yeah so i think it's a reward type and i like it mm-hmm. so t- a tennis channel is under big scrutiny here they lost their feed during the third set tiebreak of djokovic alcaraz <sighs> now i have tennis channel because uh i'm a boomer mm-hmm. i have a, a direct tv i love direct tv yeah. by the way yeah so i don't stream i have it and boom there it is so, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, uh, Tennis Channel cutting the feed of the third set tiebreak between Djokovic and Alcaraz? They're just dropping
0: the ball. They're really dropping the ball. I think uh, some of these "quote unquote" boomers are running DirecTV. i <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, I'm I'm really surprised by this. And you know what's funny? It seems like te- uh, Tennis TV or Tennis Channel they have some hiccups. Um, you remember when they missed that women's? I want to say it was a semifinal and accidentally aired pickleball instead. Oh yes, yes. You know that is that's that, huge. They're dropping the ball there. You're called tennis channel. You know, um, I don't want to see these once a year mishaps like this. You know, match of the year and you are losing your feed. I I don't really get that. I don't understand how that happened you know, they're really making the the strong case for people to go, I think it's time to stream. But, you know, ultimately, Tennis Channel is still, to me, the number one way to watch tennis. So, yeah, it it sucks because that's probably how the majority of U.S. fans are watching this match. Yes, for sure. So, I don't like that.
1: Yeah, so, uh, as I stated before, Holger Rune is now in the top five. And this is actually a very, very good stat so they are the youngest 20 year olds him and alcaraz are the 20 year olds uh since 1992 to be top five players in 1992 uh pete was 20 and he was number three mm-hmm. and the other one's a monster uh goran Ivanisevic, goran who is a coach of djokovic and uh, we
0: we loved Goran pre-Djokovic. Yes. For the record.
1: Yes. And this is a side note. Goran is a monster. He would never take anything on the court as a player. Mm-hmm. So I'm shocked that he takes it from Djokovic. But that's another story.
0: Look, <laughs> I have comments on that because he airs out Djokovic in press conferences anytime he wants. Djokovic is a nut. We deal with him. We allow it. I know what it was like to be a player. He, he airs out dirty laundry respectfully but unforgivingly. I like Goron a lot. For sure. For sure. That's my favorite coach.
1: Yeah, big time. So, what are your thoughts on Alcaraz and uh, Runa matching uh, Pete and Goron since 1992?
0: Look, if that's the company they're in, I think this might be crazy to say. I think Goron and Pete are my favorite players from the 90s. Oh, respectfully. Um, More than Agassi, more than whoever you want to name. Everyone loves Pete so that's an easy one but Goron is kind of like my 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 dark horse of favorites that's the best way to put it he's he's my um, I don't know the there's a phrase for it but he's my favorite that's not everyone's favorite and so I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool that Holger and Carlos are in that company. And I'm glad for Holger because he hasn't had that massive, big event happen yet. He's just been showing up a lot yes, and making deep runs. But he hasn't had his breakthrough moment. That's going to make him a superstar.
1: Oh, yes, I agree. But he will eventually. Mm -hmm. So it's coming. So before I get to the match, I'm going to give some stats. So first off, let's give uh, Alcaraz a little uh, love here. So um, here, uh, before turning 21 he's been in five ATP finals. Mm -hmm. He's tied Djokovic uh, before turning 21. Djokovic had five ATP finals Mm -hmm. and Nadal had 11. So it's Nadal, 11, Djokovic and Alcaraz, five before turning 21. What are your thoughts?
0: He's in good company once again. Um, Nadal having 11 is pretty crazy. That's a pretty crazy statistic. So shout out to Nadal for that. But Yeah, Alcaraz is... I heard John McEnroe say he's never seen someone better at the age Alcaraz is right now. He's never seen a player play that well. So, that says enough. John John McEnroe is probably the best commentator in professional tennis. Oh, yeah. So, um, if he's saying it, I'm going to believe it. Oh, for sure. Excuse me. So, this to me was very impressive. So, I'm
1: going to say Djokovic, uh, after winning that match, he gave massive kudos to Alcaraz. Hmm. He said... Boy, you never give up. In that press conference, he said he's a mix of all three of us, the big three, and he's he's just a phenomenal player. He's complete. Mm-hmm. Alcaraz. His response was, uh, "I'm not the big three. I'm Carlos Alcaraz." Yay! Now, some of the uh, people on social media—they're all take the compliment. <laughs> why are you? Why are you dissing Djokovic? What are your thoughts on Alcaraz's response to saying, I'm just Carlos Alcaraz?
0: I love it. I love it. I am such a big fan of his response. Look, in his head, in his mind, he's going, respect me. Acknowledge me. Admire me. But don't call me you because I'm me. I love it. As someone who, he's not he's not going to give Djokovic the gratification of, Letting him big bro him and little or low bro him. He's saying, I am your peer and your rival now. Treat me as such. I am not baby Djokovic. I am your enemy. I am the person you should be worried about when you're in a tournament draw. Not little Djokovic. Not oh he has my backhand. No, I have my backhand. Watch out for it. And I love that energy. Love that energy. This man is fearless. I saw a little bit of admiration at a, the wrong level when he played Nadal. I don't see it when he plays Djokovic. He's out there for blood. And I love I, I see it in the press conferences. I see it on the court. Um, Alcaraz has the right mindset to make it happen. Yes. He's saying the right things. He's doing the right things. And Novak subconsciously knows it. And that's you've never heard Novak be this soft in the press conferences. Oh, yes, he's, he reminds me of myself and my other contemporaries. Who has he ever said anything that kind about, ever? He's trying to soften him. He's using what we call the old man game, where you uh, you soften your opponent during the changeovers, during the breaks. Oh, man, you're sir, so big. You know, I remember when I used to play USTA, I was playing a singles match versus an older guy, and every changeover oh man that serve man where'd you learn that have you ever clocked it i'm like shut up we're in the match right now i'm
1: just happy i returned it
0: (laughs) i was like man be my friend when the match is over during the match you're my enemy and alcaraz has that energy and i love it yes uh on the encore
1: interview he said you know i'm learning from djokovic you know all that stuff but I guess when it comes to comparing him, he does not like that at all. But I'm for it. I'm 100% for it. I love it. He's made a, sending a statement. He said, all right, it's 2-2, but if we play at the U.S. Open, it's on. Mm-hmm.
0: And I love it. Yeah, he's he's not all talk. He's yes. here, and he's serious about it. He's genuine and authentic.
1: Yes. Love S- it. Some more stats about Djokovic here. He just surpassed the win of uh, breaking the tie with Lendl and nadal he is third on the list now in total wins in the atp Hmm. he has never lost a deciding set tiebreaker in a masters 1000
0: final in his career impressive yes it's against good players yes uh any thoughts on that i mean he's just racking up the stats at this point but keep it up novak keep it up you are the current best player on the planet and the only person who's in your universe is Carlos Alcaraz. Yes. So, it's it's almost even more crazy to think about. What if Alcaraz wasn't on the tour? Who would stop this man? No one. So, pretty crazy to see.
1: Yes, exactly. So, <clears throat> here's a little uh, side note for our listeners. Here, uh, Djokovic is twenty points behind Alcaraz to surpass him as the number one player in the world. All he has to do is win one match at the U.S. Open. And he surpassed him since Alcaraz is defending 2,000 points for winning the U.S. Open. So even if he wins again, he can't catch up to Djokovic. But uh, Alcaraz missed a lot of the uh, tournaments in the final at the final stretch of the season. For example, Paris indoors and all mm-hmm. that. So if he plays those, Djokovic played those. Alcaraz did not. Mm-hmm. So if he plays those, he will surpass. Uh, Djokovic as the number one player in the world? Who's mm-hmm. going to end as the number one player in the world this year?
0: Carlos. That's my bet. Um, Carlos, the fact that he's played so many frivolous tournaments this year anyway tells me that, at the very least, now that he knows he has an opportunity to clinch the world ending, or year-end number one spot, he's definitely going to do it.
1: Yes, yeah I, I agree that carlos is gonna uh end up with the number one spot hmm. for sure so just to uh, let you guys know it's 1069 wins that djokovic has uh nadal and Lando have 1068 Federer has 1251 career wins hmm. and jimmy connors has 1274 career hmm. wins do you think that that's a record that djokovic can break he's gonna have to play a
0: couple years Djokovic appears to have another three years in his body. Does he have three years of being the best in the world? That is a different conversation. He definitely has three years left of winning tournaments for sure. So, yeah, absolutely. I think he can do it. I think he can do it for sure. So, you know, if he wants it, I think it's attainable. If he doesn't care about it, then that'll be a different conversation because. We both know that in the final five years of people's stretch, they play far less events. They hone in and focus on those slams and those 1,000 events. And that's pretty much it. So we'll see what Djokovic decides to do.
1: Yes, uh, as long as he decides to play the two years, he is now able to play all these tournaments that he wasn't able to play before. Mm -hmm. So he might catch it if he wants to. So now we're going to get to the match. It's considered the match of the uh the year for sure and the best match out of two out of three sets
0: oh by far yes
1: so let's get to the match so I saw it I broke it down and what I saw was that Alcaraz was focusing a lot on the Djokovic backhand he had multiple times to go inside um in forehand and he just refused to do it and one of the reasons why was because Djokovic if Alcaraz misses his mark Uh, Djokovic would hit cross court and Alcaraz has a running forehand and he didn't want to deal with that but there were a couple of times where he could have done it and he was successful by opening up the court cross court and then down the line but a lot of the times he did not want to go to that so that was one of the big reasons why Djokovic won and as a matter of fact he sat on the backhand a lot and he was just waiting for that shot so there was no element of surprise Mm -hmm. Uh, Alcaraz was struggling with his first serve percentage in the third set. It dropped big time. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, when uh, Djokovic was serving for the match, Ferrero yelled out, hey, Zverev was able to break him. You can break him too. So he did break him and it, go- it did go to a tie break. But I think that if he would have opened up the court a little bit more to the forehand, it would have worked. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is make the ball exit the side. But I don't know, for some reason, he just didn't feel it mm. but that was one of the reasons why to me he didn't win that match and as a matter of fact when uh Djokovic had that heat stroke problem he kept going to the backhand that was the time to make him run to the forehand he you can see that he wasn't uh, moving that much and he just kept trying to pin him to the back end. I didn't understand that mm. and as an Alcaraz fan and a Djokovic hater I was like what are you doing this is your chance to win uh, what are your thoughts on that strategy?
0: Um, it's tricky. It's tricky. I think that there's a thin line between sticking to the plan and improvisation and making changes. You know, I think that part of what makes Al so successful is his discipline in sticking to whatever his game plan is and executing it phenomenally. But to credit what you're saying. If you do it a couple times and it works really well, the greatest in history acknowledge that and they kind of tinker with it and they find out if this is something they should hone in on. And I'm a little surprised he didn't. Yes. Um, I'm a little bit surprised he didn't, especially because he does have the ability to do it. So, yeah, very interesting indeed. Um, I, I will admit... We weren't seeing the best version of Alcaraz at this tournament. I don't believe we were. Um, Moving into this match, I didn't feel like we had seen the best version of Alcaraz, And in this match, I don't think it was the best version of him either. I mean, just to echo what you said earlier, the first serve thing, he showed up with more first serves in the fifth set at Wimbledon. Yes. Um, Versus this time around, it seemed to taper off when he needed them the most. And, you know, it's just part of being human. It is what it is. But it's very interesting to see how close and gritty this match was with him not being in peak forming condition with all his weapons present. So um, I think that Djokovic beat him fair and square. I think that Djokovic did outplay him. And I agree that Alcaraz had chances, like you said, he had opportunities and chances to change the outcome. But. You know, all I can hope is that he shows up with all the weapons intact for the US Open.
1: Yes, for sure. And as a matter of fact, when Alcaraz lost that second set, he ended up banging the bench or something. And this guy has to get tape in his hand, on his hand, because it's starting to hurt. Hmm. And then, as a matter of fact, his hand started to cramp up in the third set. So here we go again. And then it, it was around the three hour mark. And here the commentators on the tennis channel were saying, well, At the French Open, it was around the two-hour mark. This time, it's around the three-hour mark. So, he's doing something right. He's learning. Uh, Do you buy it? Do you think he's learning from not cramping up as much?
0: I'm not even... I don't even draw the same comparison from the French Open to this. The French Open was a, a mental soft and vulnerable thing. It was a softness he showed up with. It was succumbing to the moment thing that was happening. This cramping was not that. I think that it's two isolated incidents. I think it's two separate things. And I think the commentators are making a mistake. Um, I am not relating this to the French Open in any way. I disagree.
1: Yes. So now we're going to talk about the ripping of the shirt. This is just uh, epic because uh, he said it before. This is just something that you feel and it's just he he compared it to life he's saying this mm. is this is a life-changing uh moment and uh all of us as tennis players we want to have that moment oh for sure so obviously if you remember in the 2012 final it was over five and a half hours he beat nadal the rip of the shirt mm-hmm. and now this is over three hours 20 minutes him uh, almost uh having uh feigning problems because of the sun he ripped the shirt and he's mm. saying as a matter of fact this is by far my toughest two out of three match. And it could be even more tougher than that in a doll match. Mm. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I loved the ripping of the shirt moment. I know some people won't understand it, but I promise you to my bones, I love it. I want it. I understand it. I live it. I want it. It was incredible. It was incredible to see.
1: Yes, for sure. Uh, you, you want it.
0: Giving every drop of what you have in your body towards something in general, and barely attaining it, and working and reaching the summit. Oh my gosh! When you get there, oh man, you don't even know how to articulate it in words. All you can do is rip apart your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was an amazing moment to see. I I think those kind of moments you don't forget until the day you die. I mean, I've got moments in my life that aren't even close to that. They're just in the universe of it that I'll never forget. I I remember the first time I won a seven-point tiebreak 15-13. I remember it by heart. I screamed after I won it, and it was against some guy who didn't even have a backhand. <laughs> <laughs> like, it wasn't even impressive. It was just such a long dogfight, you know? I remember the first time I won a best-out-of-three tournament final, Three in, three hours and 20 minutes long against a guy who was a pusher. Not even an impressive match, but I pulled it out. I was down 5-2 in the second set, and I dropped the first set. I was down 5-2 in the second set. Came back, won the second set, went to tiebreak in the third set and won. I When I hit the, the my last ball of that set, he made an unforced error. When I tell you, I barked. I couldn't even say words. He missed that ball. Oh! I couldn't even say anything else. So happy I won. I just let sounds out. Trust me, if, if we weren't playing such a low-level event, I would have ripped my shirt too. But I probably couldn't afford to get a new one. So times are hard back then. <laughs> but but um, yeah, these are the moments that as an athlete, as a spectator, as an, a fan, they're so good to see. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I... I'm so happy that that event that final went down the way it did, and it's really cliche and corny, but there are no losers in a final like that. Yes. You know, uh, both players walk away with new fans, so it was a great event.
1: Yes, for sure. Uh, uh, since you brought up a, a moment, I remember in college, I was playing a match, and uh, three sets went to tie mm. and I won it, and, and I was just pumped. Oh, my uh, that, that sort of a ripping of the shirt moment type mm-hmm. moment, but... Yeah, it was incredible to to have. So yeah. hopefully every tennis player could in uh endure that and, and have that yeah. for them. Whew, so now the last topic since uh uh you love this event, Labor Cup. Labor Cup is now complete. Hmm, that's a good topic. So uh we had originally we had uh Sisypas, Holger Rune, Rublev, and Kasper Rude. They could not get Alcaraz to play. Uh, last year, they tried to get him to play, but he did not. But they filled out the other two spots, which is Hurkacz And believe it or not, Gael Monfils. Does Team Europe, can Team Europe win back Labor Cup with that lineup?
0: Listen, just for the listener's sake, I just want to read. I want to read the roster of Team USA and Team Europe slowly and I'm going to give mild reactions as I say these names, okay? I'm going to start with Team USA since you kind of covered Team Europe just now. Team World. Sorry, Team World, you're yes. right. Oof, I don't know why I said that. Uh, team World. Taylor Fritz. This is a good choice. I like Taylor Fritz on Team World. Francis Tiafo. This is a good choice. I like Francis Tiafo on this team. Felix Oja Aliassime your little brother who is having a terrible year. Little bro, I think we should have sat this one out. I I know you're probably going to check for this, but uh Team World does not need you right now. <laughs>
1: but it is in Canada.
0: So so he's going to sell the tickets. Yeah,
1: and Shapovalov, he's injured as a matter of fact, he won't play the US Open. Mm. So that maybe could be one of the reasons. It's and, a valid,
0: that's a valid reason. Yes, valid and reason. and
1: these three were the original Three. They were. And now do the add-ons. Tommy Paul. (sighs) Why? Well, if he's playing Alcaraz.
0: I was going to say, if Alcaraz was playing on the other side, I would say match them up, make them play each other. That makes perfect strategic sense. Outside of that, I don't think he's selling specifically very many tickets, and I also don't think that he's a top pick for me for Team World. So, not really big on that one. Francisco Sarundolo. I think it's a year too early.
1: He had a nice run at the French Open.
0: He's had an okay year. He's had a, a respectable year, but I think it's a year too soon. I don't anticipate him winning against anyone on a big, big stage yet. And I think that we're watching him blossom still. And next year is going to be his make-or-break year where we go, will you be breaking through or will you be the best of the rest? And lastly for Team World, Ben Shelton. I actually really like this pick.
1: You don't think it's a year too early for him?
0: Ben Shelton is an excellent doubles player, and that's why I like him here. Yes, I he I think did. that he's a backup plan when you don't have Jack Sock.
1: He did have a deep run with Eubanks in Cincinnati.
0: Absolutely. I think that Ben Sheldon in the doubles lineup is going to be a huge weapon with a massive serve, lefty game, and great hands. Does he need to be playing singles at all? No. He should not be in the singles lineup. But I really like him strategically for this lineup.
1: Okay. If you bring it that way, then yes.
0: Yeah. A lot of people are – he's the one that's making people the most triggered on this team. Yes. But I genuinely think, okay, he's he's a collegiate doubles all-star – and he's shown that he can still do it on the Pro Tour. So, as a coach, from the coach's perspective, I actually like the Ben Shelton strategy as long as he's playing doubles. So, I'm here for that. More than Tommy Paul and Sarundalo. So, okay. that's my thoughts there. Then we move over to Team Europe, which has most of my least favorite players on the whole tour on this roster. <laughs> so, let me just get that out the way now.
1: So, you want to get the three that were
0: originally there already? Yeah. Which, you know, I dislike one of them right away. Yes. Casper What are you doing here, man? More than Sissipa? Not more than Sissipa. But as a guy, as a betting man, I dislike Casper more than Sissipa. I'm betting on Casper never. Unless it's a clay court event. Casper on an indoor hard court versus top 10 players. What is he doing here? This man is the king of handing out people's first top 10 victories. I do not want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> Kasparud is a huge liability and he's not a double specialist. So Kasparud is a no for me. Stefano Sisipa. Not a lover of this man, but let me say this. Sisipa is the talk of the town. Whether we, it's love or hate, no, people geez. talk about him. And you have, to rele- you have to respect... That people talk about him, and he is a respectable athlete. He's a terrible doubles player, in my opinion. Um, but he is a good singles player, and he creates chatter. So, yes. I like him on the team. I genuinely do.
1: And then, Holger, Holger Rune. Rune...
0: Is the new big three. Respect him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I actually do like him on this team. I think that he belongs on the Labor Cup team. He would be one of my actual late picks. He'd be okay. one of the guys who would be in my last three picks for uh, Team Europe. But I like him on this team a lot. I really do. And now the add-ons. Uh, Andre Rublev. Um, I'm a big Rublev fan. Oh, he rips the ball. Yeah, I'm a big Rublev fan. On an indoor hard court, I'm very interested to see what he does. I think he brings a lot to the table, especially against the Team USA we just mentioned. He brings a lot to the table. I expect him to make be one of the the pillars of this team. Just a side really note, uh, he
1: uh, this is the year that he won his first Masters 1000, and he is a very good doubles player. Believe it or not.
0: Yeah, he's his four his his stroke style is actually a double stroke. He hits a low, zippy, offensive ball. That's doubles. Singles is supposed to be a bit more height on your ball, a bit more margin. He doesn't care. <laughs> he, he doesn't care about that. He does that in doubles and singles. I like Rublev on this team personally. That's an opinion thing. Um, then we get to our final two. Hubie Herkacz.
1: The ace leader in uh, this year in the ATP.
0: The baby birditch. Um... Mixed emotions here. This guy, I don't think he's a seed filler. Um, I don't think he's a showman. And I do think he is a stable last three people you picked kind of player. I do think that. Um, But yeah, this is not a guy where you go, oh, we're about to win this event. He doesn't make me feel that way. I don't really know anything about his doubles play. I can't say I have an opinion, but I wouldn't I would think in my mind that he's just okay at doubles. I don't remember him volleying a whole lot, but like you just said, he's got a huge serve. Yes, the ace leader. Yeah, so you know, that helps. So I, I have mixed emotions about him. He does not make me wish I was at the event, let me put it that way. And then And what about the last pick? Gael Monfi, the Monf. Honestly, when I heard that, I was shocked. But look, what are your thoughts? Look, this man has barely been able to walk this year. He's been injured hot and cold all year. Um, he's not been winning much this year. He's struggling physically and mentally this year. Uh, as he's now a father, so he's busy. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, but, um, you know, I do think Monfie sells tickets. Oh, for sure. I do like Monfie as an athlete. I do think that... He's one of the matches I'll be excited to see when they play the recaps. Do I think he's someone I'd pick when I'm trying to win Labor Cup? No. He's not. So, for me, if you're going to be totally honest with you, I'm team World. Yes. Big time this year. Big time. Um between me and you, I don't see a single player besides and this is this is me being optimistic. I don't see anyone besides Rublev who can really show up in a doubles match on this whole roster. Okay, I agree. On the whole roster. And Rublev is only half of the doubles team. And I don't think he's a lead the doubles team kind of guy. I really don't. Unless he's playing with Medvedev. Where in that case, they have great chemistry. I mean, the real question is, where's Djokovic? Where's Medvedev? And where's Carlos Alcaraz? Because that takes Team Europe straight to the championship. Oh, for sure. You know, that's the people who should be on this team. Team Europe is in the trenches and it's crazy because with Francis Sarundalo, Tommy Paul, and Felix Alger Asim, I feel like Team USA, not Team USA, Team, Team World. World should not be the favorite and they are. Yeah, I agree. But you know, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, I like a uh, Team World with uh Tiafo, uh Fritz. Who uh, know they
0: know how to win singles matches. Yeah, they, they know, know how, how to how.
1: win. Uh Tommy Paul, if he if he gets his mind right. He could definitely win as well. Yeah, uh, Holger Runa can play in an indoor uh, uh, event. We know so that. So he's the only one that I can see really winning mm-hmm. a singles. I don't know about Herkocch. Maybe Stefanos. Maybe. Yeah. So
0: uh, I like Team uh, uh, World. Yeah. Here, I'm. I'm right there with you. So I'm going. I'm betting the house on Team World this year, and I'm probably only watching half of Labor Cup this year. This yeah. is my least favorite Labor Cup to date.
1: Yes. Yeah, so with that, and oh, real quick, uh, last uh, thing uh, Federer will make an appearance. Maybe that'll pump up Team Europe. Will
0: he be coaching or will he be appearing? Appearing. Mm, that's not going to pump them up that much.
1: Well, maybe. Because,
0: I mean, if he's only appearing, Team World and Team Europe equally will be pumped. So. Oh, mm. uh, okay. Well, there they you know. we go. So. Well,
1: in that case, that's all I got. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
0: That's actually a good question. I, I thought I had something for you actually, but
1: while you look it up, I'm going to give a that real quick. So, feed uh, it. yeah, Mukova, who beat Sabalenka at the French Open and in Cincinnati, has made her top ten debut. So congratulations to her. Hmm.
0: Um. I have one. Okay. It, this is just a little story. It's nothing crazy. Okay. Um. So Stefano Sisipa Was at an event And he thought he uh, Or he saw a bee Oh jeez And he's uh, So he's swinging his racket at the air During his surf Don't get that thing out of here Swinging the racket And Then he goes Alright cool He throws the ball up And here's a bzz, bzz. He stops He's like What the hell Throws his ball up Hits a surf Boom Start the point Next point Pounces the ball a couple times. About to do his toss. A lady in the crowd is making B sounds during his serve motions. He goes up to the umpire. He's like, excuse me. I've never done this before, but I believe someone is making B sounds while I serve. The umpire's like, do you know who it is? He's like, "I, I, I think so. Goes back to serve again. Starts to bounce on the ball. Hits a serve in, plays the point out. Cool. Third time around, bounces the ball. Zzz, zzz, zzz. Stefanos gets some hair on his chest. He's not going to the umpire this time. He walks out. He's I going straight that. to the crowd. Puts Points his racket up. Which one of you is making the sound? <laughs> Someone in the crowd snitches immediately. It's her! <laughs> He walks up to the umpire. I know who it is. It's her right there. Kick her out. <laughs> Kick her out of here. <laughs> and mixed emotions, but this is the quote that I love the most. You know you are pathetic when there's a cringe-worthy CC Pa moment and he's not the cringiest person in the scenario. Oh, jeez. People hated this lady. They're like, you should never be more cringe than he is in a scenario that involves him. So yeah, he became the villain. Hilarious moment. And uh that is my story for this episode. I don't know
1: I don't know who it was against. I know I know it was in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if it was against Ben Shelton or Hurkacz. But yes, I remember that.
0: Yeah, if you're uh, if you're listening to this episode, go on YouTube or Instagram and look this event up. It was hilarious to watch because he walks straight over to this crowd. And it's not a crowded group. There's like six scattered people in this area behind him. He's like, which one of you? And one person immediately puts a finger up Her, right there.
1: <laughs>
0: he's, like, he's like, okay, all right, cool. Confrontation complete. And uh, he got he got a little bit of my respect for this. He got a little <laughs> bit of my respect for this. I like that he went straight to the crowd and handled it. Uh, he went up to a woman, I said.
1: Okay. Uh, well with that uh, we'll close with that and I
0: hope you guys were entertained thank you very much this was ATV